Dynamic History Salem, a podcast that tells the stories of Salem's dynamic and incredibly diverse history, and the people who made those stories meaningful. I'm your host, Rebecca, licensed Salem City Tour Guide. An Order of Congress, dated Wednesday, April 3rd, 1776. You may, by force of arms, attack, subdue, and take all ships and other vessels belonging to the inhabitants of Great Britain on the high seas, or between high water and low water marks, except ships and vessels bringing persons who intend to settle and reside in the United Colonies, or bringing arms, ammunition, or warlike stores to the said colonies for the use of such inhabitants thereof as are friends to the American cause, which you shall suffer to pass unmolested, the commanders thereof permitting a peaceable search and giving satisfactory information of the contents of the laddings and destinations of the voyages. This month, 245 years ago, the Continental Congress of the United Colonies passed an act specifying the process and the rules for becoming a privateer. So what is a privateer? On my tours, I often explain to visitors that privateers were essentially state-sanctioned pirates. As the colony's war with Britain deepened, it became quite clear that the colonial navy would not be big enough to combat the British at sea. Enter the privateer. From the port of Salem alone, 158 merchant vessels became privateers that made many trips into international waters to seize British vessels and bring their cargo back to the colonies. These and other merchant privateers sent by the colonies during the war successfully interrupted British trade, seized supplies and arms, disrupted troop movements, and of course, seized and repurposed the British vessels themselves. Merchant vessels sailing from Salem had usually carried guns prior to the war in order to defend themselves from actual pirates and privateers from other countries, such as France. As more Salem ships joined the war effort through privateering, they became more heavily armed, and some new ships, such as Elias Haskett Derby's Grand Turk, were built specifically for privateering, weighing in at 300 tons and carrying 24 guns. These privateers didn't target British warships, which were more heavily armed, but British merchant vessels. Salem privateers and crews became so adept at approaching British merchant vessels that they seized 458 of them during the war. As noted in Maritime Salem in the Age of Sail, quote, Salem was the only significant New England port to escape capture during the Revolution, end quote. And it proved to be quite a busy privateering port as a result. One of the most successful among Salem privateering merchants was Elias Haskett Derby. Derby was owner or part owner of 25 privateering vessels sailing from the port of Salem during the war. Some of those vessels sent by Derby took up to 10 British vessels per voyage. If you've been to Salem, you likely have seen the name Derby everywhere. Derby Street, Derby Square, Derby Wharf. The man's reputation as one of Salem's most successful merchants is in part due to his talent and luck in privateering. As independent scholar Robert Booth writes, quote, As the years went by, Haskett Derby became by far the richest man in Salem, with a private navy that was nearly indefatigable. 
Young sailors dreamed of sailing on his vessels and striking it rich. King Derby achieved an almost mythical status in Salem, as all of his voyages turned to gold. End quote. Derby and his colleagues of the merchant class in Salem saw profits increase during the war, while those of other New England colonial ports decreased. Booth notes that, quote, after years of successful privateering and wartime trade, Salem's merchants and sailors believed that they could go anywhere and succeed as traders and warriors, end quote. That didn't mean that trade from the port of Salem was uniformly prosperous ever after its privateering days, though. Salem trade had recessions during times of embargo, such as 1807, just like other American ports did. The historical and cultural significance of Salem's privateering and maritime trade more broadly remains in Salem, though, to this day. While Union Wharf no longer extends out into Salem Harbor, Derby Wharf does. Union and Derby were the center of revolutionary privateering in Salem. Visitors to Salem today still enjoy the beautiful green on Derby Street that leads out to Derby Wharf, but many likely don't realize that wharf's historical significance. We have the National Park Service to thank for caring for the nine acres and 12 structures that make up Salem Maritime National Historic Site, the first ever historic site to be designated in the United States in 1938. The importance of Salem privateers to the early American Republic is reflected in that designation. It's also a beautiful place to walk, to smell the sea, and to admire the replica of the Friendship, a three-masted, square-rigged East Indiaman that's docked alongside the wharf. Derby's first house, built for his wife Elizabeth and their many children, stands nearby, standing on the street that still bears his name today. interested, the sources I consulted for this episode are Maritime Salem in the Age of Sail, the National Park Service Handbook, number 126, from 1987. Salem as Enterprise Zone, by Robert Booth, in Salem, Place, Myth, and Memory, published in 2004 by Northeastern University Press. An Order of Congress, primary source document included in Salem Merchants, Patriots and Privateers, by the National Park Service, Salem Maritime National Historic Site. Merchant Ventures of Old Salem, a history of the commercial voyages of a New England family to the Indies and elsewhere in the 18th century, by Robert E. Peabody, published in 1912 by Houghton Mifflin and available on Google Books. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dynamic History Salem. Have a wicked good day.